Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM. This is the Group of Five Deep Dive. And a reminder to our audience, you can follow us over on the Action app as well. That's BBOC G5 Deep Dive throughout the season upcoming. We'll get into our futures plays, our win totals, every single pick starting in week zero. But today is a special day for INLO and myself because this is our NFL draft special, or as we like to call it, graduation day for our G5 kids, the darling G5 superstars who have worked their way through the combine, through the entire offseason. They're going to hear their names probably in day two, day three of this upcoming draft. But it's a very exciting moment for us because we have been there from the beginning, real OGs with a lot of these guys. INLO, how is the offseason treating you and how do you feel about the upcoming NFL draft? I love draft day and I despise everything leading up to the draft. Um, I'm one of those people that my blood boils listening to NFL experts be like, oh, did you see the way Will Levis threw the ball with no defense? Like, yeah, but when there is defense, he sucks at football. But the other thing we wanted to do here is because our guys don't get love. The guys we talk about all year, the, the NFL experts don't, you know, they're not sitting there breaking down you know, Memphis and Houston tape. So I think that's kind of what we wanted to do and come in here and be like, Hey, you know, don't forget about, don't forget about the little guy. But like you said, it does feel like graduation that I always feel like a proud Papa. You know, I was, I get, I get to your, I've watched the Bailey Zappi video of Bill Belichick calling him, telling he's going to get drafted and boy, do I well up just like his dad did. So that's kind of how I feel about these kind of NFL drafts. Bailey Zappi. To respond to a few of those points, uh, I'll start with the Will Levis hype train. He um, Dude, he's so just at, at this point, the whole showing people working out in shorts elements and he hit the ceiling. It's like, is that even good? Is it good to throw a deep ball that high? So the defense has that much time to adjust to it. It, it would be like watching um, the long range champions for like driving contests and then be like, that guy's going to win the masters. No, he's not. 
that's not like that's a tiny element of your game just being able to hit the ball really far just being able to throw the ball really far and i've basically had it. i at this it seems as though someone's gonna reach and take love in the top 10 and my head's gonna explode my my favorite was everyone going bananas because anthony richardson had like the high the long the biggest high jump ever for a quarterback it's like great for the ones a season where the center snaps the ball 15 feet over his head he might get a finger on it move him up the draft board unlike <laughs> nfl blitz you don't throw a lot of jump passes i know mahomes every once in a while I'll throw a jump pass but it's like it's not in your regular repertoire as a quarterback but <laughs> oh, the other element you brought up is that these are the you know the rough cut gems we have to like dig deep for them but these guys deserve their love and unfortunately this podcast is going to be one of the few that get into it because there's a good chance that we have no G5 players selected in the first round of the draft, which would be the first time since 1989. That's when both Sanders, Barry, and Dion went in the top five. So it's been forever. And when you look at some of the drafts coming out, the, the mock drafts from those recruitniks that you you know talked about earlier, Mel Kuyper, CBS, The Athletic, no G5 guys in the first two rounds. There's a couple FCS guys floating around. But there's a decent chance that there's no group of five players selected in the first two rounds. That's wild to me, given some of the skill position players that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so you kind of stole my thunder because I actually I told you beforehand, since we don't have a lot to talk about because we're kind of going to focus on the first two rounds today. We don't have a ton to talk about. I was going to try to kill some time by asking you a trivia question, which was, you know, the last time a group of five players did not go in the first round. I mean, 2022 should be the easiest. There were two G5 guys taken. Do you remember them? All right. So Zayvon Collins, was that right? That was two. That was 2021. That was Sauce Gardner. Right. And then Tyler Smith from Tulsa went in the first round. 2021, Zach Wilson, Zayvon Collins, and Peyton Turner. Remember, he was like the surprise late pick from, from Houston. 2020, my boy Jordan Love, QB1, shout out. Uh, 2019, at Oliver, Houston. He was like top five, wasn't he? He was ninth pick, I want to say. He was definitely yeah, top 10. He was up there. 2018 was a big year. Josh Allen, Marcus Davenport from UTSA, Lander v- Van Der Esch from Boise State, Rashad Penny from San Diego State, and Mike Hughes from UCF. 2017 was that, was Corey Davis went like fourth overall at Western Michigan. And then it starts to get a little weak. 2016, William Jackson, Houston, Paxton Lynch from Memphis, a rough pick there. Vernon Butler, La Tech. 2015, Brashad Perriman and Byron Jones. We'll kind of stop there. 2014, obviously, was Blake Bortles went. You've just been Bortled. I mean, took them to the AFC title game. You know, True. The, the Bortles ship was uh, 20, still still along. Oh, 20, 2013 was Eric Fisher going number one overall. Shout out Central Michigan. But yeah, like you said, it's been a long time. You know, McShay doesn't have anyone in the top two rounds. Daniel Jeremiah doesn't have any. He's, I would say I probably respect Jeremiah the most of any mock drafter. Him and like Peter Schrager. And, you know, Jeremiah doesn't have any G5 guys ranked in his top 50. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough year for, for us. <laughs> let's let, let's transition here. I think this is a good moment because you do have to squint a little bit to feel good about a player coming off the board in the first two rounds. But I'm going to go ahead and get it started with Ty J Spears. In terms of his tape, when you combine that with his measurables and also his production, he certainly should be in the conversation to be the third running back taken. So it's going to be Bijan. It's going to be Jameer Gibbs yes. from Alabama. And then you look at him. He's 5'10", 200 pounds, ran a 4'4", 840 yard dash. But on the production side, almost 1,600 yards rushing, 21 total TDs, 10 TDs in his last four games. If he played USC every week, he would have won the Heisman Trophy. Next-gen NFL stats ranked him as the third best player at the position of running back at the Combine. So he's right there. 
In terms of the market, he's 100 to 1 to be the first running back taken. That's not going to happen. It's probably going to be Bijan, 35 to 1 to mix it up and, and hop Gibbs. I don't think that's going to happen either. But there's plenty of teams that have running back needs that I think it's reasonable to see them taking Spears in the second round or early in the third. You got Cowboys, Texans, Dolphins, Eagles, Bills, Falcons. All of these teams could use someone like him to come in. And the fact that he caught north of 20 balls last year, he looked very comfortable in the passing game. I think that gives him plenty of versatility as a third down back. But also he was the the go-to bell cow for the green wave. So there's no reason in my mind that he couldn't be a starting running back in the NFL, which should put him in a conversation. So the teams that I listed, that's where from a live bet perspective, depending on which state you're you're operating in, there's live bets for the NFL draft. If the Cowboys are coming up, no Zeke. The Texans running back room is still really weak. The Eagles at this point with Miles Sanders gone, they need to go ahead and fill that role as well. So these are all different pieces that I, I think could play in Spears' favor. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, so I'm similar to you. Obviously, you know we both live in Pennsylvania. Uh, I actually just moved, so now we live like we literally live like ten minutes apart. Still have not met in person yet, so we will do that. We will share many a tale of our favorite Maxion stars over beers very soon. Um, I love Tajay Spears. I agree with you. You know he made us a ton of money last year. The biggest thing I like about Tajay is, you know he he kind of exploded on the scene. He he tore his ACL in 2020. And if you look at his 2021 stats, first of all, Tulane was trash. So that kind of hurt him. He finished with, you know, 800 yards. But even last season, you know, you look the first couple of games, you know, 57 yards against UMass, like eight yards against Alcorn State, 26 against Kansas State. And then, you know, he still was kind of finding his footing back in, struggled against Houston. But then you look towards the end of the year, you know, 151, 126, 157, 130. The way he finished the year in the biggest games of the year, 101 against Cincinnati, 199 against UCF, 205 and four scores against uh, USC, as you mentioned. So I just love the fact that he kind of continued to get better every year or every week. Um, he's not the biggest back, which is, I guess is probably the concern. He's small. He's not powerful. Obviously, you and me probably watch more Tulane games than most people. He, he, he definitely struggles at times to get through the line of scrimmage, you know, through the first quarter, he'll have eight carries for like nine yards. And you're kind of like, what's going on. But when he gets into the secondary, he's gone. He was fifth in the country. He had over a thousand yards after contact, which for a guy, his size is remarkable because that's basically how he was all year. He either got tackled immediately, or if he was able to break through a linebacker, he scored. That was just how his game was. He's super explosive. He's awesome at like changing direction, quick cuts. For me, the one downside is that size is he's not big enough. I don't know that he's big enough to be in every down first and, you know, first and goal ramming up the middle. So I do think he's likely a third round pick. So the way I would bet it is, you know, assuming he doesn't get drafted in the first, or, I mean, second round pick or, or third is you kind of, like you said, the live betting, I think once, you know, uh, what's his face? Bijan and Gibbs are gone if I don't think Gibbs sneaks in the first round but if he does that would be ideal because then you get all overnight to bet you know to let more props come out and then you bet him to be the next running back taken you take a shot that he goes third I mean it's really going to be like him who uh, A-Chain and Charbonnet are kind of those other guys in the mix which like I don't know A-Chain's really small too I, I like Charbonnet personally but so maybe you do it maybe after Charbonnet if Charbonnet goes third you live bet Tajay to be the fourth round, the, the fourth back taken. You can kind of complete it that way. You mentioned landing spots because because to me, he's not 
He's not big enough to be like a power back. Mm-hmm. And he has good hands, but he he didn't catch the ball a ton in that two lane offense. You know, as much as you'd be like, oh, he's going to be a Kenneth Gainwell type type back. To me, he's perfect as a change of pace back in a rotation. So when I was looking yesterday at some you know possible landing spots, to me the two that jumped out was New England. You pair him with Ramondre Stevenson, big, powerful. He gets the goal line backs. You give him a break. And New England loves rotating. You know, you think yeah. about the Deion Lewis's, the Kevin Fox. Uh, you kind of rotate him with New England. The other one that kind of jumped out at me was Arizona. Because you have James Conner, who's more of the bigger back too, but has a ton of injury history. So you kind of have Tajay to be that kind of, you know, secondary backup for James Conner. Like those are two spots that, I, that jumped out at me. New England loves taking running backs, and especially, the, you know, the G5 kind of guys in the mid rounds. So that would be a spot I would be looking is to bet, you know, New England maybe, or just kind of bet him to be the next back taken after either the first two, or maybe you you let the third one go and then bet him to be the next one. That's kind of how I would approach Tajay. Yeah, Arizona is interesting because I do think there's certainly that need in the running back room. Unfortunately, their roster in general is kind of a mess. <laughs> so it, it does remain the running back position, kind of a luxury position, even in teams where they need a true number one starter. Most teams in the NFL have now gotten comfortable with that running back by committee. They want to play situational football. So do they value all the other positions on their need board above you know running back? So I, I agree, though, if two backs, if Gibbs can sneak into the end of that first round, I think that's great news for Spears potentially coming off the board in the second round. Yeah. Um, let's transition now to another skill position, and that's wide receiver. I think this draft has a lot of potential sleepers in it. And one that I was surprised given how well he performed at the senior bowl. And then when you look at his production last year at Houston tank Dell, I mean, the guy was an absolute monster. He ran a four, let's see his 40 yard dash four, four, nine, which in my opinion is slower than how he played on the field. He's five, eight, 165 pounds. Thank goodness. He's playing in the NFL in 2023 and not 1998 because he probably wouldn't have got drafted at all at 165 pounds. But when you flash on the tape and then look at the production, 109 catches, 1,400 yards, 17 TDs, next-gen NFL ranked him as the fourth wide receiver at the Combine in terms of the production versus the measurable combination. And even the the odds for – he's not going to be the first wide receiver taken. He's 200 to 1, 100 to 1 to be the second. But after that, I think this part of the draft gets really fluid. The Athletic has him in the third round. CBS has him in the fourth round. But there's a bunch of wide receiver rooms in the NFL that are really thin right now that I think he moves in and he's either a number two or certainly a number three, kind of like a gadget slot guy right away. Look at the Bears. They need more help for Justin Fields. The Ravens, yeah, I know they just paid 15 mil for OBJ, but how many games is he going to play? And they had multiple you know, needs at the wide receiver position. Patriots, Texans, Titans, all of these AFC teams I see as a potential landing spot for him. And then also a team I'm going to throw out there if I can get a live number on it. And as you said, it depends how much, how aggressive books get between rounds, between the first and second round in particular. And when they get into day three, I think the Bills could really use somebody like this because the Bills offense for all of Josh Allen's heroics, they seem to struggle a little bit hitting the big play down the stretch. And I think it was more of a grind. This is a guy you can throw a bubble screen to and he can take it to the house. This is somebody who's an incredible yards after reception kind of player, yards after catch. So I don't hate that marriage. And if I can get an exacta where I've put the bills and tank together, I like that play 
this is a team we talked a ton about. They ended up coming below expectations last year, but he was he, he really made Clayton Toon look great. And for for me, Toon's kind of an up and down player, but I think if he ends up getting drafted in the fourth or fifth round as a quarterback, he really has tank to thank for it because this guy just made him look incredible with taking some of those short throws to the house. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot, you know, when we do the kind of later gems round, because that's all my feelings on, you know, Clayton Toon is I'm not as high on him because I'm so high on Tank Dell. And like you said, it's, it's you know, kind of similar to Tajay, I guess, which like, he's so small. I was looking yesterday, I think I saw someone that said there's not a single receiver in the NFL that are starting receiver that's less than 175 pounds and Dell's 165. So it's like, he's got to do some bulking up. Um he's super fast. Like he is much faster than that number at 40 time. That's, that's one of those things where, again, that's why I hate the combine. It's like, just watch him play. And, and you know, he is, it's not nice fast too. Cause I mean, he is, but he's like, he's so quick. His change of direction is off the charts. He's an elite route runner. In my opinion, he's, he's mentioned the yards after catch. And as you said, he's small, but like, who cares? You, you, you it's not even legal to hit receivers anymore. It's not like he's like, he's not great at catching the ball in traffic, but like if he, he doesn't have to catch. He just has to get near a guy and it's pass interference. So who cares? He played both inside and outside at Houston, which I think actually helps him because he's he's probably more of a slot guy in the NFL, you would think, just with his size. Um, at the end of the day, he can just flat out get open. Like, he kind of reminds me of that, you know, obviously way smaller, but, like, he's kind of like Devontae Adams where, like, he just he just gets open. Like, he just runs these routes and he just shakes guys. He, he can run, you know... If he runs a hook, he's open. If he runs by a guy, he's open. Like, he just always is open, which I love about him. Um, this is kind of a weird draft because you mentioned it. When I you know, was doing my research for this too, I did. You know, you pull up CBS, ESPN, The Athletic. You know, you just look at all the different sites. And the wide receiver rankings was bananas, like different. Like, I don't think I've ever seen it like this drastically. I mean, everyone kind of has, you know, you have Smith and Jigba, Addison, and, and Quentin Johnson are kind of the first three. And then... There's that second tier that's kind of like the Zay Jones, Josh Downs, or Zay Flowers, Josh Downs kind of tier. And then after that, I mean, I saw people that had Dell ranked fifth and people that had Dell ranked 15th. It's like insane. Because there was another guy, when we talked about the G5 guys, you know, half of them had Dell ranked as the top G5 receiver. Well, the other half had Rasheed Rice. And that's the guy I want to touch on because I'm a massive Rasheed Rice fan. And I also am incredibly frustrated by Rasheed Rice at times, mostly because I watched a lot of SMU games. And similar to Dell, he was their entire offense. He had like 38% of their receiving yards. And basically whenever I bet on SMU, he made a big play to help me win. And whenever I bet against him, I was screaming at the defense to triple team him. Unlike Dell, he's a super inconsistent route runner. He's kind of choppy. And he, he almost... Like, this is just my opinion. He almost seemed like he got frustrated that he was the only player on their offense that could do something. Like, he'd make five sick plays in a, on, like, possess, in consecutive plays, and then he just stopped trying. Like, he was infuriating at times because when he's at his best and he looks like he's giving 100%, he's big, he's long, he's fast, he can jump, you know, out the roof. He has great ball skills, elite body control. He's great at catching the deep ball. He he just kind of stops trying for times and he's like jogging. You're like, what are you doing, dude? My biggest concern about him is he reminds me so much coming out of college of Jalen Tolbert, who I loved. 
but Tolbert couldn't get on the field against the Cowboys with, with the Cowboys this year. So that's, that's kind of like my comp in like a good way. Cause I love, you know, big, strong can beat you deep, deep ball threat. But like, why didn't, I don't, I still don't know why Tolbert couldn't get on the field with Dallas personally. Cause I was high on him. So I guess the fact that he Tolbert, you know, was basically just a practice world guy kind of makes me nervous about rice. Um, but what are your feelings on rice? Like I said, I think when he's at his best, he, He's a very good player. It's just you got to get him to, like, try. Well, two things. First, I agree. The There's zero consensus on this draft class at wide receiver. It's all over the place. I actually saw a mock draft that had Tyler Scott from Cincinnati. I was going to bring that up, too. I was going to bring that up next. Like, he, he ran a 4-3. <laughs> and, and that's the thing that's crazy. It's like Tank Dell, if he had run a 4-3-5, his comp would have been Deshaun Jackson in terms of collegiate production, hitting the home run, and then being undersized, being truly under 5'10 and really slight. The only one that's gone on to serious multi-year success in the NFL at that size is Deshaun Jackson. I think he could have worked his way into the second round if he had just run a 4'3'5". It just puts such incredible pressure on an event that is not truly football-related. It's workout-related. And just flip on the tape. He was that fast on the tape all the time. I, I so, you, yeah, you, 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 you will talk about him next pod too, but you, you mentioned the same thing about Puka Nakua. It's like, oh, you ran a bad. It's like, watch him play football. <laughs> He's faster than everyone on the field. Yeah, Puka Nakua, he probably would have been in this conversation if he could stop getting hurt. And that's the hardest thing, I think, from a talent evaluator perspective. It's like, how much is a fluky injury? How much are you playing through other injuries and get injured again because he needed to be on the field to help that BYU offense? Like those are the kind of questions that we're not privy to the answers because a lot of that takes place in the offseason vetting where they're talking to coaching staffs, they're talking to trainers, they're having the in-depth meetings. So it's interesting too, if you're looking for an exact marriage between player and team, you can go through and Google how many in-depth meetings because they're capped by the NFL. They have like the combine where they have, you know, quicker interview sessions, but they can have these in-depth conversations. And, you know, the fact that Scott was interviewed, he had formal interviews with the Browns, Giants, Raiders, and Bears. I just like circle. Uh, he say, is a right. Raider through. Oh, four, three. Check. Yep, exactly. So it's like the one, the, why we're talking I, about I him. We're kind shocked of shocked to see the Raiders pull the trigger there. And we're kind of jumping around all around here, which is fine. I'll the thing I I kind of dug into Tyler Scott. I saw his name. I'm like, what? Tyler Scott? He had like nine touchdowns all year. Granted, he didn't have great quarterback play, but to me, the I think the reason Tyler Scott is getting love is a he ran the four three, and like the case I would make for him is he was a running back in high school. He's insanely fast. He does have good hands. He's also 5'9", so he's small like Dell. The difference is he's not a great route runner. He got bumped off his routes a lot. He really struggled getting through, like, you know, a release and, and pressure, which to me is you can't coach speed and hands, but, like, you can you can coach route running, which is kind of his biggest issue. When you look at him, he's basically only played a receiver for two years. He was a running back in high school. He redshirted his freshman year. His sophomore year, he was the number two behind Alec Pierce and was, you know, fine, but they had Pierce. They ran the ball a ton with Jerome Ford. And then last year was like kind of his first year being the guy. So he's still super raw. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if a team's like, played, he's played receiver for two years and he's wicked fast. We could teach him the rest. So I do think a team, you know, like I said, he's, he's just the Raiders are going to be like, oh, we could teach him to play better. We just got to get the speed guy. So 
I was a little surprised to see Tyler Scott's name. I don't even know. I mean, you can make already Trey Tucker was just a good receiver as he was, but so that surprised me a little bit. Um, but I, I could see the logic behind a fast guy who's still super raw. Um, but like you said, I think Dell and Ann Rice should both go ahead of Scott personally. Okay, before we go any further, as a reminder, Big Bets on Campus is presented by BetMGM. So get in on the action with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION and get up to $1,000 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. That is the bonus code ACTION. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789 or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Before we get into some defensive guys that we like, I'm going to throw out a player that I think is going to be a surprise in terms of where he's drafted. I'm not sure if he can get into the top of the third round, but I think there's a chance that he sneaks in at the bottom half of the third round. And from a measurables perspective, this is usually where there's a gulf between the power five guys and the G five guys. It's like there's the tank Dells of the world where if he was six feet tall, he'd be a first round pick, but he doesn't have all those measurables. Not the case with Zach Kuntz, from Old Dominion, 6'7", 255, 455, 40 yard dash. Like that's just incredible in terms of his overall physicality. In terms of his athleticism score, next gen NFL ranked him first at the combine for tight ends. And when you looked at his full year production in 2022, 73 receptions, almost 700 yards, five TDs. When you watch some of the games, as we, you know, we were all on that ODU train hoping that the Wolf Pack could uh, lead them to a better season. But whenever he did get the ball, the guy was electric. He was 
kind of Gronk like in terms of, you know, after the catch, he could plow people over, he could, you know, leap, he could outrun some folks. He's 100 to 1 to be the first tight end taken. Also, a strange market inefficiency 100 to 1 to be the second tight end taken. So you might as well go number two, I think, in that case, because I think Michael Mayer from Notre Dame basically has that locked up. Um, in terms of where he's projected now, this is why it's a little bit of a, a gutsy prediction by me. It's basically fourth round across the board, CBS, the athletic. There's a lot of teams that have tight end needs, chief among them, in my opinion. Can you imagine him with Joe Burrow in that Bengals offense? I think they need somebody who's able to stretch the middle of the field a little bit. The Lions traded TJ Hawkinson away to Minnesota, which I think long-term roster building was a great move by the Lions, but they need to replace him with a real stud. Packers as well. Chargers, Everett is pretty old. Dolphins, Jasicki ends up walking in free agency. Speaking of Jasicki, you know, Kuntz was a Penn State kid. And I think that is an indication of where he was viewed from a scouting perspective right out of high school. Like Penn State is one of the best tight end programs in the country. And they viewed him as the next great one to step in. He ends up transferring and has that one breakout year for the Monarchs. I love this guy. I think he's going to be a really good NFL player. I can't speak to his overall you know, run blocking because they, there's a lot of shotgun for ODU. It's going to be a little bit different in the NFL as an inline blocker. If he can just be a mediocre blocker at his size, which I imagine you'd have to be with his his length, his wingspan, everything else, I think this guy has the potential to be a Pro Bowl tight end. So does the team fall in love with him in the third round? I'm at least going to make that bet. Uh, first of all, the Packers are taking Dalton Kincaid in the first round. So unfortunately, we won't be there to take, uh, take Koontz. But you mentioned it, and I was going to bring this up too. That's to me the most important thing I look for in a G in the, these G five guys. Because sometimes you worry about the knock on them being like, you know, oh they they played lesser competition, so they just look good. Or you have the you know they weren't very good and then had one big breakout year or grew a ton or something like that. You mentioned it, Kuntz. You know he was a four star recruit. He was the number four tight end in his class. He went to to Penn State and played. You know, he was on the Penn State roster for three years. The biggest thing with him was just, you mentioned it. It's basically become tight in you. He was behind Gasicki, or I think he was behind, no, he was behind Fryermuth at first. Yeah. And then, you know, Brandon Strange, who is also going to get drafted, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, you know, I went, I'm a Penn State fan. Like, alum, Penn State has a ton of tight ends, and we just rotate them, and they're all sick. And we look how many tight ends Penn State, you know, Gasicki, Jesse James, we've just been pumping out tight ends into the NFL. And, so it's not like he wasn't good. I mean, he had he had offers from Alabama, LSU, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, USC. All of them wanted him to play. And, you know, he couldn't crack the Penn State rotations because we had so many guys. You know, Brent Saints probably gets drafted before him, so it's not like a huge mm-hmm. upset. And when Ricky Ronnie was his tight ends coach and offensive coordinator, leaves, the first thing Ricky Ronnie does is say, you're coming with me because you're a freak. So – that to me kind of alleviates all the worry about the G5 and the lesser competition. It's like Ricky Ronnie watched this dude in practice going up against, you know, Micah Parsons and then, you know, these, you know, Jire Shorter and uh, Jaquan Brisker and all these like, you know, corners we've been putting out, um, uh, Joey Porter Jr. And he's like, I want you on my team. That's the first thing I'm, day- I'm doing is bringing you with me. So I agree. It's kind of a hard there's a ton of tight ends this year. So it's like, it's hard to predict him, project him. Um, but he's a guy that I definitely would love to have on my team. It, you know, if the Packers didn't take Kincaid, I would definitely like take him and, you know, take him in the third. Um, he's also a guy that might be a good look to kind of 
I mean, tight ends are so hard, especially like early, but like, you know, rookie dynasty, um, you kind of look at the Isaiah likely kind of, you know, model and how, you know, people expect big things out of him. You, you kind of take Zach Kuntz and storm if he ends up in a good spot. He probably doesn't do anything his first one or two years, but with that size and speed, he's a guy I'd want on my bench, you know, just in case. All right, let's close that with some defensive love. Who's your favorite defensive player potentially in that round two, round three, round four window? Yeah, like I said, I don't know that any go in the top two, three rounds, but if I had to bet one of them, you know, I, I know Andre Carr is getting a lot of love. I'm sure you'll you'll touch on him. To me, the best G5 defense defensive player in this draft is Dorian Williams. He's the guy the more I like, you know, kind of rewatch Tulane games for him and Spears and stuff. I he's everywhere. <laughs> he does everything. You know, you know, Carter's good at kind of pass rushing and, and I'm sure you'll, we'll talk on him after this, but Derwin Williams does everything. The dude had 131 tackles last season, eight and a half tackles for a loss, five sacks, two forced fumbles, two interceptions. He ran a four, four, nine 40. So he's crazy athletic for like a middle, middle ish, you know, inside linebacker. He's, Tulane runs that weird four-two-five defense, so he's kind of alone in the middle. You know, they have the pass rushers, the, the secondary, and then he's basically alone in the middle and has to kind of do everything. He he does both a lot. He does both very well. He's great at reading the ball. He has really really good instincts, but you know, with his eyes, a little undersized, which again is kind of why he's in this th- three-four you know range. Um, but he does everything for them. You watch the USC game; he was their defensive MVP. He had 17 tackles against one of the best offenses in the country. He was everywhere on that. Every time USC needed a first down, he went flying and speared dude out of bounds to keep him at, you know, to seven yards instead of 10. So he's not the biggest guy, but I just think his versatility as a guy who, if they run the ball, you can trust him to come up and make the tackle. If they throw the ball, you can trust him in coverage. He's really good at, you know, I think he's really good in coverage. I think he's super underrated in that aspect. So, we saw how good that Tulane defense was and he was everything for them. So I think he's got the, the motor and the juice to be really successful at the NFL level. Um, so to me, Dorian Williams would be my first G five defender off the board. I think that's a good pick. Um, I don't necessarily believe that my pick will be the first G five defender off the board, but I'm going to really get interested in looking at live numbers for him at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth as Nick Hampton from app state, the fun belt, has produced a lot of great defenders over the last 10 years. And not only was he super productive, but you look at the apples to apples comparison. They played North Carolina. They played A&M at the beginning of the season. He had three tackles for loss in those two games, a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. When you pair that with his overall production, the last two years, 27 tackles for loss. And the fact that you want to have as many options on the table as possible when you're looking purely at, when this player is going to go, if you can get a number, you know, does he go in the next 10 picks, something like that? You could argue that 25 of 32 NFL teams could use another edge rusher. It's just one of those positions where your room can never be deep enough. Like the the talk on the Eagles going into the Super Bowl was not just that they had this game changer J.J. Watt kind of pass rusher. It was that they came in waves, that they had three and four guys that they could rotate in on that edge, keeping people fresh. And the NFL where the passing games are so sophisticated and the high end quarterback play is so good. You want to drop six guys the majority of the time. So you want to get 
to the quarterback with four and five rushers. And to do that, you have to get some real dudes up front. I love Hampton. I, I thought he was fantastic throughout the entire season. Watched a lot of App State football as we covered the Sun Belt as closely as any G5 conference. I think, you know, his measurables as well, 6'2", 236 pounds. He ran a 4.58 40-yard dash. So to me, I think he checks all the boxes. It's just a question of, is there a run on edge rushers? Does somebody, you know, go a little bit early and kind of start that domino train of these players coming off the board in the second and third round? And if that's the case, I think he could be the fifth or sixth guy at that position. And it's a position of need for every team in the NFL. What, what are your thoughts on maybe reaching a little bit, but absolutely needing somebody to be in a pass rusher rotation? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought him up because I was actually going to touch on him as my counterpoint. I hate, you know, ending this show on a negative note, and especially when you're when you're shitting on the United States Army. I don't get the Andre Carter love at all. When, you, you know, when he got, you know, it's great that he was able to kind of, I don't even remember what happened. He postponed his service, basically. There's all that drama that initially he was, he was going to have to fulfill his service duties. And every article was like, first round projected, you know, it's like, what are you talking about first round? He'll be lucky if he goes in the first four rounds yeah I, I think his his post <laughs> his postseason the draft process the senior bowl i think just everything nothing was catastrophic he, but he everything is. was like a little bit downhill and also we talk about this with offensive players where it's like oh the guy got 120 targets so no kidding he got he caught 100 passes the way that they used him defensively they're trying to put him in the highest volume production spots on the field defensively all the time so he did have an incredible season two years ago from a tackles for loss perspective, but how much of that was scheme versus how much was that him being like a Will Anderson type? They're not in the same class. And I think that there was a time when people kind of talked about him in that top 20 range. And I just don't think it's justified based on how he's going to match up against NFL talent. Yeah. Like you said, it was scheme. And also, you know, he, you mentioned, you, you're talking about, he, he had 15 and a half sacks in 2020 in 2021. He had three and a half last year because teams just, blocked him he is he's super long he's six seven he is explosive but he weighs 250 pounds and to be 250 at six seven is bananas this dude is an absolute twig and he got he got bullied at the senior bowl he got pushed around he was obviously outmatched and pushed around and you even saw you know during the season he he's he's not very good with his hands at the point of attack He's not good at shedding blocks. He's just long and bendy. So basically, if he can get a free rush off the edge and the tight end forgets to block him and he gets a free run at the quarterback, you know, he's fast. So he gets there every time. But it's like if if a tackle gets his hands on him, he's cooked. So like I said, he's falling down the draft boards after his senior bowl and, you know, some of his testing because he's so skinny. I he's I don't think he has a shot to see the field as a rookie. Probably even a two, he needs like two or three years to just live in a weight room and bulk up. I do think he has upside, so I think he will be in kind of the fifth, fourth. You know, maybe he gets lucky and goes in the fourth. Probably more likely fourth or fifth round. You know, he just needs he needs to live in the weight room. I, what was that? Um, who the NFLPA survey that came out? Who were like the top teams in the weight room? It was like the the Vikings and the Dolphins, I think. If he ends up in the Dolphins and can live in that A-plus rated weight room, he could have a solid career. If he ends up in in Baltimore or Arizona, his NFL career is over, and 
thank you for your service because he's going to be shipped off to the military real soon because he needs to get big. He is just, I don't get it. I, you know, I saw his name a ton in like the oh, first round. It's like, what are you talking about? So to me, I was going to bring him, uh, your guy up as well. I think, you know, I'd much rather take him that if you're going to go edge, um, but if you're going to go edge, yeah, I'd rather go with Nick Hampton. If you're going to go defense, then like I said, I'm a big fan of uh, Williams. Well, hopefully we've whetted your appetite with some of this this talk at the top of the draft. Uh, not quite the first round, not even really the second round in a lot of these picks. But the draft is going to be chock full of former G5 heroes in day three, which is what we're going to get into in our next podcast, which is going to drop later this week. So please keep an eye on that on your podcast feeds. We'll be able to get into some of those players that are really the lifeblood of any championship run on the fantasy side. You got to get those running backs who end up, you know, in a timeshare or in some cases the Alfred Morris's of the world where everything comes together and those fifth and sixth round skill oh, position players. Boy, I, a little teaser. I already know my guy. I'm going to, if my brother and, and cousin who are in my dynasty league, they usually listen to the pod. I'm not letting them listen to the next one. Cause I'm telling you, I got a guy circled big time that the second, I don't think you get drafted in, you know, your, your dynasty rookie drafts. Usually two, three rounds. He probably doesn't go. The second the draft ends, it ends. I'm picking him up as a free agent, and we'll, we'll tease him. We'll talk about him next episode. For Mike Ionello, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Big Bets on Campus podcast, presented by BetMGM. Our G5 deep dive now in the books for our first draft episode. Be sure to listen back in later this week as we get into those deep cuts, sleepers only rounds four through seven. No stone left unturned by the two of us. So. Looking forward to giving it to you guys. Take care. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.